Well, hi, welcome back to our discussion as we seek to unpack Paul's admonition for us in in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, where we talked about how to restrain sensuous indulgence. And uh, and the implication there is uh, certainly not only just in our personal lives, but also in our lives as we get along with one another. And so we've established uh, today... Uh, over the last couple of times, uh, that the law of Christ is to be our directive. And I suggest to you that the law of Christ is walking in the power of the Spirit of God. And as we do that, um, we will then be able to have a confidence in our Christian freedom. Freedom from the burden and the weight of having to have a rule to tell us what to do in every circumstance in our walk with God. But for some of us, this type of freedom is uncomfortable because we are struggling with issues of conscience. And so today and on Friday, I want to really talk seriously with us about this idea of conscience. And uh, I'm going to be depending a lot on a wonderful book uh, that uh, that I've read. And I would encourage you to get it, to think about it, and to check me out on what I'm saying. It's a book called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ by Andrew David Nacelli and J.D. Crowley. Uh, it's a book that was published recently, just within the last couple of years, and uh, I think I think it's a very, very good and helpful resource to help us with this issue, because the issue of conscience is is a, a very weighty issue when we're talking about Christian freedom. Do I have the freedom to be free from this admonition, freedom from this law? Do I have the freedom to do this, to do that? How do we know that? And that's an issue of conscience. So conscience has been defined as your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. Very simple definition. What you believe is right, what you believe is wrong, is determined by your conscience. Now our conscience is a wonderful gift from God. Everybody has a conscience. I believe conscience is one of the key components of our makeup as a human being. We have intellect. We have a will. We have emotions. And I would suggest to you we also have creativity. We have um, imagination. And then I think, fifthly, we have conscience. All these are kind of summarized by uh, the idea of heart. Uh, Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And our heart, um, I think, can be established that our heart encompasses the intellect, the volition, the emotions, uh, the imagination, and in our heart is also this idea of conscience. The word conscience appears in the New Testament 30 times. Positively, it talks about how our conscience can be blameless, can be clear, can be clean, can be pure, 
Uh, conscience can be cleansed. Conscience can be perfected. Conscience can be washed. Conscience can be purged. Conscience can be sprinkled clean. These are all ideas of what we do with our conscience that are outlined for us in the New Testament. And they're wonderful things to think about and contemplate how to keep our conscience so that we can we can put our head on the pillow at night and sleep because we have a clean conscience. But the authors of this book say with us, uh, share with us that there are several things about conscience that we've got to be very careful about. And these issues of conscience, what they might call negative conscience influences, directly affect this area of freedom. And they directly affect our fellowship with others who might have different levels of freedom based on their view of what is right and what is wrong. So let's talk a little bit about how the New Testament describes conscience. First of all, conscience can be weak. I'm not going to turn to all these passages, but 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7, 10, and 12 talk about a weak conscience. I really don't know of anyone who is going to admit that they have a weak conscience, (laughs) Um, but there are many of us who do have a weak conscience. A weak conscience could be an oversensitive conscience. This leads a person to feel guilty about things for which there's no need to feel guilty. We're, we're free as Christians and people with an oversensitive conscience are always second guessing themselves. And so therefore they don't enjoy their freedom. Uh, it might be that, uh, um, they're a people pleaser and uh, they're worried about someone uh, getting upset with them. So, so, so their conscience is weak because they're always influenced about whether someone might look cross-eyed at them or the opinion of others. And so they can't say too much. They just don't say anything because they're a little unstable in their conscience and their conscience is very weak and it's influenced by other people. Um, we can keep our conscience weak. And we can keep our conscience weak by never exposing ourselves to new ideas, never exposing ourselves to other people who might see things differently from us. And so Paul talks about that some people are in a, in the church, in the Christian community, have a conscience that's weak. And we've got to be aware that our conscience sometimes is weak. Secondly, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, the conscience can be wounded. And this is very important for us to realize. Here's a person who might be the victim of abuse. Maybe abuse in the past. Maybe abuse that has been really recent. Maybe they're going through it now. And the the promise of the gospel is that there can be healing for people who've been abused. But there's always going to be that wound that's there in a person. It's not completely healed. I don't ever want to compare us to an, an animal, but I think of dogs that were abused and they go into the rescue program and then they get rescued uh, by a loving family. And this loving family takes this, this wonderful, beautiful creature and begins to love and nurture it. 
And this, this dog begins to come out of the abuse and begins to express love. But any time that there's a gesture, maybe someone unintentionally does this, the dog's going to go back because they've been wounded by someone who's abused them. And so the new master of this dog has to be careful, recognizing that this dog has been wounded. And so therefore there's some things that, you know, we need to be sensitive to that, to that dog who's been abused. Same thing happens with a person's conscience. If there's been some type of a wound on a person's conscience, there can be cleansing, there can be healing, but it's possible that there will always be something that might trigger that feeling of past abuse because of a wounded conscience. What do we do in the church with a wounded conscience? We'll talk about that uh, on Friday. Then there's a person whose conscience is defiled. A conscience that's defiled. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 and Titus 1, 15. A conscience is maybe polluted, <laughs> might be a better way of putting it. There are degrees of a defiled or polluted conscience, and simply it comes from being misinformed. Uh, a person may have been taught something in, uh, maybe they have been in some type of a pseudo-Christian fellowship group, and they've been taught things about Jesus that are unbiblical, and they grew up with those things, and they've, they've been kind of indoctrinated uh, by a false truth of the Christian faith. And their conscience is is polluted and they're defiled. And uh, the solution there is they've got to they've got to re-educate that conscience. They've got to learn the new truth. An example of that is Cornelius and Peter described in Acts chapter 10. You remember that uh, God brought Cornelius, who was a Gentile, together with Peter, who was a committed Orthodox Jew. And he brought those two men together. Now, Jewish teaching says that it's it's against the law for a Gentile to enter the home of a committed Jew. But God brought Cornelius to Peter, and God said to Peter, invite this guy into your home. And Peter's going, whoa, I've been taught my whole life that I can't do that. And God says, yeah, but you know, that's... Your conscience has been misinformed. Your conference, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna re-inform your conscience. And then God gave Peter three visions of a sheet coming down in heaven with all kinds of animals that are unclean by Jewish law. And God said to Peter, take them and eat. And Peter says, no way, I'm not gonna do that. God says, you know, Peter, I understand your conscience, but your conscience has been misinformed. There is no thing that is unclean when it's received by grace and faith. And there is no person who is unclean when they're in Christ. And so, Peter, you need to, you need to re-educate your conscience. But there are people in the church, in the community of Christ, whose conscience has been misinformed up until this time. <clears throat> and they need to learn how to... Um, to have their conscience re-educated. But there's another degree here uh, that we've got to be careful of. In this process of a person who is, has a weak conscience or who was improperly educated, 
it's possible for us in the church to un, uh, inappropriately influence that person to make a decision and behave against their conscience. Even if their conscience is defiled, even if their conscience is misinformed, we must not cause a person to stumble, cause a person to commit an act that is against their conscience. Because the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. And so if a person with a weak conscience who might have a misinformed conscience, an uninformed conscience, maybe a wounded conscience. And if we who are strong in our conscience say to them, oh, come on, don't do worry about it. Come on, let's go and do this. And, and we cause that person to do it against their conscience, we are sinning against that person. And we're causing that person to sin against his or her conscience. And God says we must be careful of that. We'll talk about what to do about that on Friday as well. And finally, the conscience can be encouraged or emboldened to sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. Here are the degrees of that. Instead of being trained in righteousness, our consciences can be trained in unrighteousness. <laughs> we can be trained against uh, to believe a lie that something is okay when it isn't. Remember we talked about minimalist guidelines? We'll talk more about that on Friday too. But there are some minimalist guidelines according to the law of Christ. Do not allow your freedom to be an, a license to, to sin. Well, we can, we can train our conscience to the point where, well, okay, I'm going to do that and I'm, I'm not going to listen to my conscience anymore. And so the voice of our conscience gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, it's possible for a conscience to be seared. For the conscience to be like a hot iron coming upon it and just, and just to go away. Uh, John MacArthur says this, our conscience can be like the nerve endings in our fingertips. Its sensitivity to external stimuli can damage can be damaged by the buildup of calluses or even wounded so badly as to be virtually impervious to any feelings. Well, in the local church, in the Christian community, we could have people in a given occasion of all of these different degrees of conscience. We can have people who are totally free and they're positively, their conscience is clean and pure and washed and, and they're totally free. But then we could have people with a weak conscience, a wounded conscience, a defiled conscience, uh, a, a misinformed conscience. There might even be some people who've been walking around who's, who need a miracle in their life to reawaken a conscience. What is it that we can do as a local church to get along with each other with all of these varying degrees of conscience? Well, our authors of this book give us two principles. One, generally obey your conscience. However your conscience is right now, that's what you should follow. Generally obey your conscience. Quote, 
This is the author's. The Bible teaches that to go against your conscience when you think it is warning you correctly is always a sin in God's eyes. Always. Even if the action is not a sin in and of itself, and you say, well, I don't want to do it because my conscience says no, well, then don't do it. Follow your conscience. Why? Because if your conscience tells you to do something and you do it anyway, you're intentionally deciding to sin against your conscience. But does this mean that your conscience is always correct? No, doesn't mean that at all. But for right now, for the time in the present, if your conscience is leading you in a certain way, follow it. Because when you believe your conscience is speaking correctly, we must obey it and not sin against it. A very famous quote in the throes of the Reformation comes from Martin Luther. Maybe some of you have read this quote. Martin Luther says, Unless I'm convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God, his understanding of the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. That's a good rule of thumb. And so here we are in the local church. We've got all these people with all these varying degrees of conscience, whether there's a strong, pure, healthy conscience, or whether there's a weak conscience, a seared conscience, a misinformed conscience, a conscience that needs to be miraculously given new life. We're all together. How do we get along with each other? Well, God is the Lord of conscience. Our conscience is not the Lord of itself. No one else is the Lord of our conscience. Therefore, the authors say, this is a quote from this book, page 31. If God, the Lord of our conscience, shows you through his word that your conscience is registering mistaken moral judgment, and if you believe he wants you to adjust your conscience to better match his will, your conscience must bend to God. And that's the subject we're going to take up on Friday. How do we bend our conscience to God? I hope you'll join with me because that is going to be a, st- a strategic thing for us to think about and consider as we develop life in the local church and as personally we seek to restrain the indulgence of our sinful nature. We'll look forward to being together again on Friday. God bless.